Hello, and thank you for listening to True Crime Cam. On Monday, I got back from visiting family for a few days, and after a nine-hour travel day of flights, I came back to a package from Spotify. They sent me this huge and what looked like a handcrafted box, and I'm sorry if you're not listening on Spotify, then you can't see the video And inside is this adorable little marshmallow roasting kit with the chocolate and the fancy marshmallows and skewers, along with a Spotify blanket, which is now my favorite blanket that I own, and it perfectly matches my couch, which is nice. And the coolest thing about this box is now I have a place to actually store my recording equipment instead of just throwing it on top of my dresser. So I'm really excited to have a place to keep all that stuff. Thank you so much, Spotify, for sending me that. I really appreciate it, and it was such a nice surprise. Oh, and the marshmallow roasting kit is from Swoon Living, if you want to get one yourself. And shout out to Anxious True Crime Addict who commented on the last episode. I've listened to 12,341 minutes of your podcast this year. I love you so much and thank you for your podcast and coverage of all these cases. Hope you are well. So this week's episode is a collection of Let's Not Meet stories. I tried to keep most of them in the realm of Christmas themed, I guess. All of them are definitely creepy. So let's get into it. Okay, this first story is about a crazy aunt ruining Christmas. There is a lot that happened within our family before this event, so let me explain. My mom's brother, who for the sake of this story I'll call Clark, has been married to this woman for over 20 years now, and they have one child together. So I guess this would be OP's uncle, and the crazy aunt would be her aunt by marriage, technically. Growing up, I have always been told that my aunt was a little off and was instructed by my mother to stay clear of her if I had the chance. She seemed pretty normal to me until I was around 10, and she started harassing my mother and my grandparents. She would hit on my grandfather and show up to their house unannounced, and would occasionally try to start fights. We had to block her on all of our phones, and my uncle was told that she is no longer allowed on ours or our grandparents' property. Years had gone by without much issue towards us, but for the past few years, she has been mentally abusing my uncle, along with my cousin, and once, in a fit of rage, she peed on the floor in front of my cousin. Yes, full-on squatted and relieved herself. My cousin has since moved out. Okay, I have never heard someone being in a fit of rage and then squatting and peeing on the floor. That is really weird. With all the background information out of the way, let's get to the main story. It was Christmas Eve a year ago, and as for tradition, we were having a dinner at my grandparents' house. It was my grandparents, mom, dad, brother, uncle, cousin, and their dog, Holly. We are at the dinner table, which is in view of the front porch windows, when we hear the doorbell rings furiously and the door being pounded on. As we looked over at the windows, who do we see? Her. My uncle gets up and goes outside to talk to her. From the table, we can hear a bit of yelling, and my uncle opens the door to come back in, when all of a sudden she grabs the dog and threatens to take it away if my uncle didn't give her money. At this point, my parents are outside watching all of this along with a few neighbors. My uncle gets in the car with her, and before she gets in to drive, she yells, What the fuck are you looking at? I know I'm beautiful. And God loves me. Then she gets in the car and speeds off. So we are all at the windows, stunned and confused, all the while my cousin is texting his father to make sure he's okay. 
He lets us know that he is and that he was going to an ATM to get her some money so they would leave her alone. About an hour or so later, my uncle gets back with the dog and tells us that she was basically holding him hostage because he didn't give her enough money. But finally, with a bit of bribing, she brought him back and I haven't seen her since. The rest of the night obviously had a lot of tension and I watched the road behind us all the way home, scared that she was following us. Since the incident, things have escalated at their house. We have found out that she is doing drugs and has been cheating on my uncle for a while now. For those asking why we didn't call the cops, he told us not to. I don't know why, but he hasn't done much about her, except tell her he wants a divorce, but nothing has come out of that. So crazy aunt who has threatened my family, let's not meet again. Okay, this next story is about a stalker in a mask. When I was 17, I moved to college two hours away from home and took residence in the dorms on campus. The dorms were not run through the school, but through a management company. There were a lot of safety problems in the dorms as a result of this. Assaults, ODs, drugs, shootings right outside, etc. I'm a 100-pound female, so I always watched out for serious situations around me. Everything was great. I had some awful roommates, but I was mostly left alone. One day in September, I was leaving for class early in the morning when I spotted a condom taped to my name tag on the door. It had a note that said, Call me, XOXO, with some random phone number. I told the RAs and nothing came out of it. I just thought it was some random prank pulled by one of the guys on the floor. Things went south with my roommates, mostly because of my night terrors, quote-unquote, scaring them even though I warned them before we even agreed to be roommates. So I was moved into a two-bedroom dorm with my new roommate, Jay. We each had our own room. After a week of living there, I started noticing that things were appearing in the living room while we were sleeping. I asked Jay about it, and she vehemently denied it was her. One day, we noticed that the lock on the front door did not lock properly. If you pulled on the lock and twisted the handle at the same time, the door would come open. Around the same time, I started getting snapchats of inappropriate things, vague threats and offers for quote-unquote great sex. I would get ones that would say things like, you look great today, with that specific article of clothing I was wearing. I filed a report to the dorms to get the lock fixed, but it took four months, eight complaints, threat of legal action, and my friend D yelling at them to get any action. We got our door fixed, but the presence still appeared outside of the door with notes for me. I was still receiving Snapchats, but I moved out of the dorms into an apartment with my then-boyfriend. The Snapchats continued. Then I started getting calls at work. I worked for the dean's office of my college, and I was in charge of answering phones. Every day, I would get three or more calls from randomly generated numbers. In parentheses, discovered it was through apps like Viber and Skype, after I reported it to the police and they investigated. I would answer the phone, CLAS Dean's office, this is blah blah blah, how may I help you? I would hear heavy breathing for a few seconds, then they would hang up. I thought it was just some 12-year-old pranking our office, until my coworker got a call. She answered with her name, and the person on the line asked if they could speak with me. Thinking it was one of the deans that I had been working with, 
She forwarded it to my phone. I answered, and I received the same heavy breathing and hang-up. I reported it to my boss. She did nothing. One of the deans overheard the conversation and reported it to Title IX. Oh boy, talking to them was a mistake. After the meeting with them, the threats started getting worse, and this person found my new apartment. One day in December, I was dog-sitting two wonderful dogs, who hated other dogs and would bark at them on sight. It was around 11 p.m., and I decided to take them out before bed. We get outside, and to the right of me is a bunch of thick trees that are hard to see through. I start to take the dogs to the grass on the left. They start growling and barking at something in the trees. Thinking it's another dog, I try to pull them away, but they will not budge. I glance over, and out of the trees comes a tall man. But the weird thing is, he's wearing a Michael Myers-like mask. He starts rushing towards me. The dogs get between me and him. He stops. I run up the stairs behind me into the apartment as he is disappearing into the trees again. Stupidly, I don't call the police. But I see him one more time before I move to my new apartment. Things are quiet for a while. My boyfriend and I break up, and I spend the first few days in the new apartment alone. Come to find out, the window that can be accessed from the ground doesn't lock. One morning, I wake up and everything seems normal. I check the mirror to do my hair for work. I have a bald spot. My head was shaved in the middle of the night. I find my hair tied up in knots in an envelope. I immediately call the police. They do an investigation, find the window was broken but can't find anything to figure out who it was who came into my apartment. They ask me to compile a list of everything that was missing. And the only thing gone other than my hair was three pairs of dirty underwear. I have photos of the hair and bald spot if anyone is interested. The investigation found no one. I have since moved. I no longer answer phones at work. And I keep bear spray next to my bed at all times. Okay, this next story is a warning about creepers at the campsite. I've posted this before as a reply to a comment. It's been playing on my mind because last week it came up in my time hop, and then I thought I'd post it here. So last summer, I booked a glamping trip in the next county over. The website looked beautiful. A campsite of six large yurts outside a lovely little village. Coincidentally, I have driven through that village before, as it's close to a really nice historic castle I like to visit occasionally. So we pay our money, and my husband, two kids, and I pitch up. It's one of the last weekends of the summer, and it was lovely weather. The campsite was on a small hill, and the people who owned it lived on top of the hill in their farmhouse. We were checking in on a Sunday for two nights, as we were shift workers at the time. We passed other people checking out, and they all looked happy. The owners of the site showed us down to our yurt, and mentioned that we were the only ones on the site for our stay this time, it being a Sunday. We were happy with that, to be honest, because with two young kids it meant they could make noise if they wanted and we would not disturb anybody. When she showed us around, she did say the yurt door didn't lock, but none of them did. Which, okay, fine, because you don't lock a tent, right? The place was in its own mini-wooded area and it was absolutely beautiful. The owner also mentioned the kids would be safe to wander, 
because they had perimeter fences because of their dogs. The first night was fun. We had barbecue. The kids played and then went down to sleep about eight. I found it hard to sleep, but I often do somewhere new. There was only patchy phone coverage, so we read until we fell asleep. The next morning, my husband seems a bit out of sorts, but I asked him if he was all right, and he was all, yep, fine. So I left it. We went out for the day and had a great time. Whole day was blazing hot, then we got back. We were washing up after dinner and the kids were playing when a shadow came over the whole place. I felt eyes on me, and it went really cold. Honestly, it felt like something bad was going to happen. I felt dread hit me. We'd already paid to stay, but I pulled my husband to one side and said, We have to leave right now. I don't know why. I just got a bad feeling. Please, let's just go home. Normally, he'd try and talk me out of something like that, but he didn't. He started getting the kids together, and I packed our stuff. We went to the farmhouse where the couple who owned it were sat outside, playing with their dogs. My husband started loading up the car while I apologized to them and explained we needed to leave, because our youngest was feeling ill. They said how sorry they were about it. And then just as I turned to leave, the man owner asked if my husband had been outside the house last night, about three or four in the morning. I said no. He hadn't left my side all night. I would have awoken. He asked me if I was sure. By this point, my husband was by my side and answered that no, he hadn't. And why? Well, says the guy, the security lights came on and the dog started barking. And when we looked outside, there was a man wandering around, who then turned around and walked back down in the direction of the yurts. They assumed it was my husband. We both said it wasn't and said our goodbyes quickly. I tore out of that place in the car and then about a quarter mile down the road, my husband turned to me and said, You're right. I was quiet this morning. I didn't say anything because I thought you'd take the piss. I wanted to use the bathroom in the wee hours, but as I was about to get up, I heard footsteps on the decking outside. Not hooves or something on four legs. Something on two legs. I lay there as quiet as possible and hoped the kids wouldn't wake up or something. Nope, nope, nope. It still freaks me out now. This next story is titled, This Makes Me Physically Sick Every Time I Think About It. So this happened around Christmas time a few years ago. I had taken my five-year-old niece to the mall to get her picture taken with Santa. While we were standing in line, I noticed a little old man and a lady sitting on a bench, watching the kids waiting to see Santa. The old man came up to us and told my niece that she looked very cute. I told him thank you, and he went back to sit on the bench with his wife. We got the picture taken and had been waiting a while for the picture to be printed. I asked the photographer why our picture hadn't been printed yet. He told me that my mother had already gotten the picture and pointed at the little old lady who had been watching us in line before. I went after the old man and presumably his wife and told them to give me the picture back. The old man seemed embarrassed and told me that his wife grabbed our picture by accident and she had meant to take their granddaughter's picture. He apologized, but I had a weird gut feeling that something was off about them. Next, I took my niece to go to the merry-go-round. And, like magic, 
the old people were there too, still without any kids. The lady waved at my niece and smiled a big toothless smile at us. At this point, I decided it would be best if we left the mall. I took my niece to get lunch at her favorite restaurant that is almost all the way across town from the mall. I felt much more relaxed as we had lunch, completely forgetting about these weird old people from before. As we were driving home, my niece spotted a playground that is close to a different, much smaller mall. She begged me to stop at the playground. There was a young man there with a little boy on the swings, so we weren't alone. Another car pulled into the parking lot shortly after we got there. We played for a little while, and I noticed that no one had gotten out of the car. I looked at the driver's side of the car, and sure enough, it was the same old people. They had followed us from the mall, to the restaurant, and then to the playground. The man was staring straight at me and my niece, like he was hunting us. I noticed that he had his arm down and was moving it up and down, and it clicked that he was masturbating in his car. I didn't want to scare my niece, so I subtly alerted the young man who was also at the park. I got my niece into the car quickly and drove into the mall's parking lot and called the cops and mall security. I didn't want to stick around long enough for my niece to see this man getting arrested, so I gave the cops my number and left to my dad's work, where I figured we could be safe in case these old people followed us again. The cops called me back a few hours later and told me that by the time they had gotten there, the couple was gone, but they were looking for the description of the car I gave them. It makes me physically sick every time I think about the fact that these old people are out and about and seem totally harmless when they are pervert sex offenders or even worse, kidnappers. So, creepy old people, let's not meet. This next story is titled Stories of My Mom's Drug Dealers. My mom did a lot of drugs when I was young. She was always pretty open about it, so drug use was a pretty normalized thing to my brain since a young age. Part of the normalization occurred because my mom often took me with her on her drug runs. The dealers were always nice to me. One guy was named DJ or PJ or something, and he had cool blacklight paintings and candle wax sculptures. Another guy was Don. He had the biggest, bushiest beard I had ever seen. Reminded me a lot of a brunette Santa Claus trucker. And then there was Barbara and Sparky. Like the others, Barbara and Sparky were nice to me for the most part. Barbara was, at least. Sparky just usually sat in his dark living room watching movies on Cinemax and HBO. They were at least 20 years older than my mom. Probably 30 years older. Whenever we went over, the routine was the same. My mom and Barbara would leave me in a room, and then they would go and get high. I was about seven at the time, so I was too naive to understand this was wrong. But the room they left me in had a TV, a NES, and at least 50 or so games for it. So I was in heaven. I played well-known games like Super Mario Bros. 3 and Bubble Bobble, as well as bizarre games forgotten by history like Monster Party and Kickle Cubicle. Regardless, I had hours of free time to explore the largest NES library I had ever seen. I was on Cloud 9. 
Early on into our trips to Barbara and Sparky's, though, my mom told me to not be alone with Sparky. I asked why, and she hesitated. She ended up telling me he doesn't like kids, and I was innocent enough to buy it, despite her squirreliness. Despite the warning, I never noticed anything off about Sparky. Like I said earlier, he mostly just watched movies in the dark by himself. However, one night was a bit different. I was playing games as usual when the door opened. In the doorway was Sparky, holding a small glass of a dark liquid. Probably rum or whiskey. Not that I knew it at the time. I said hi, but he just stood in the doorway staring at me. It was uncomfortable, but I just discovered that they had had the Monsters in My Pocket video game, so I turned back to it. I felt him staring at me for a few more moments before I turned around again. This time he asked me what I was playing. I answered, and then we were back to silence and stares. He followed up by taking another swig of his drink and inching behind me. He put his hand on my shoulder and gave it a squeeze. Not like he was trying to get my attention, but something more purposeful. I didn't know what to make of it at the time, but thankfully I didn't have much of a chance. Almost as if summoned by Sparky touching me, my mom and Barbara appeared in the doorway, surprised and concerned that Sparky was in the room with me. They ushered him off, and the rest of the time at my mom's drug dealer's place was as normal as it could be expected. I didn't know about pedophiles then, but now that I do, I wonder how close I came to being abused. On another visit to Barbara and Sparky's, I had been playing video games for longer than usual and got hungry. I went into the kitchen and found nobody. I looked around for any snacks on the counter, but only found a mirror with lines of white powder and a very short straw next to it. This was a strange sight to me, as one, I had no idea what the powder was, two, I never saw mirrors that small, and three, I definitely never saw straws that short. I stood there looking at it for a while, trying to make sense of it, when my mom came in behind me. She seemed hurried and got a glass of ice water. She told me to stay away from the white powder and to go back to playing games. Then, as quickly as she entered, she left. I was still hungry and she left so quickly that I wasn't able to ask her about food, so I followed her. She went to Barbara and Sparky's bedroom where Barbara was lying in bed. She looked like she was having a bad dream, but her eyes were wide open. Her head thrashed about and she was muttering. Sparf, we have to get ready, the Christmas man is coming. The Christmas man. It went on like that for a few minutes. As a young child, I thought she was being funny, so I laughed about it. My mom just grimaced, gave Barbara the water, and told me to leave because Barbara wasn't feeling well. On the way home, I asked her about the Christmas man. I asked her if it was Santa Claus, and if it was, why was she talking about him in the summer? I don't remember what she told me, but she probably dodged the questions or spoon-fed me something an innocent child would believe. My mom ended up breaking ties with Barbara and Sparky, not too long after that. I never knew why, but I wasn't sad to never see them again. I was sad about never seeing the video games again, though. 
Okay, this next story is about a creepy encounter at a deserted mall. So this happened about five years ago while I was nine months pregnant. I was Christmas shopping at the mall with my then 7- and 15-year-old daughter one Saturday night in a very safe city with a very low crime rate. There was an Applebee's connected to the mall, and we ended our shopping pretty late, and the mall stores were starting to close. So I took my kids to the connected Applebee's for a late dinner. We finished up eating about 10 p.m. and leave out the Applebee's entrance into the practically deserted parking lot with shopping bags in tow. As we got to the car, I was in the middle of maneuvering the shopping bags in my arms to find my keys when a 50-ish-year-old crusty-looking guy starts walking up from somewhere in the parking lot with shaggy gray-slash-white hair and a faded flannel shirt and old jeans. I noticed him briskly approaching when he was about 40 feet away, and he said, This is a stick-up. Give me all your money. My blood ran cold, and I stared at him owlishly and shakingly said, What? He then said he was kidding, and came and stood right next to my daughters, who were standing on the other side of the car waiting for me to unlock the car to let them in. He then starts making small talk with me and my girls. He's asking things like if they're being good girls for Santa, how old they were, if we got all of our Christmas shopping done, what kind of things did we get, etc. He didn't seem drunk, high, slow, or mentally challenged at all. He was very coherent and seemed of sound mind. Mind you, I was a heavily pregnant woman, alone with my two daughters in a mostly deserted parking lot at 10 o'clock at night, who was being approached by a stranger who came and stood right next to my kids on the other side of the car, just shooting the breeze talking to me and my kids with his hands in his pockets, and occasionally looking over his shoulder. I didn't want to aggravate him, so I was politely conversing with him and trying to look calm and nonchalant, while trying to disguise my frantic hands, digging inside my giant purse for my car keys. This exchange went on for a couple minutes, while he periodically kept looking over his shoulder. I was silently panicking, and trying to politely keep the situation from escalating by calmly and nonchalantly talking to him while also trying in vain to find my damned car keys to get us out of there. They were in there hiding good. I felt that at any moment he was going to pull a knife or gun or rob me, and my kids were right next to him, away from their mother on the other side of the car, and I couldn't find my fucking car keys to get my kids into the safety of the car. OP is really trying to paint a picture. He kept trying to engage them in conversation, and I could see that my oldest daughter was a little weirded out, and she kept glancing at me to gauge my assessment-slash-reaction to the situation. Kids often tend to not recognize potential danger when they are with their parents, since they see us as their protectors. And being that he was only talking and acting friendly, and I was doing my best to stay calm, they were oblivious to the alarming situation we all were in. And being nine months pregnant and that I was no match for this full-grown man, especially if he was hiding a weapon on him. While still desperately digging for my keys, I tried to politely give him hints that the conversation was over by saying things like, it was nice chatting with you, but I gotta get these kids to bed, and it was nice meeting you. 
and telling my girls to say that it was nice meeting him too. My polite attempts to get this guy to leave wasn't working, because he kept sidestepping my attempts and asking them what their favorite school subjects are and how nice young ladies they are, etc., while I was struggling with the shopping bags and digging in my giant cluttered purse for my car keys. My outgoing seven-year-old was completely oblivious to how not okay this situation was, because he was being friendly and because of the whole I'm with mommy so I'm safe child mentality. So she started to talk about what she picked out for daddy for Christmas. Okay, I guess OP had a typo because I thought they had daughters and not a son. Anyways, so she started talking about what she picked out for daddy for Christmas and started enthusiastically talking about kid stuff and asking him if he knew what Minecraft was, etc. And keeping this creep from leaving us alone by keeping him engaged in conversation. They didn't realize that I was becoming desperate to get them the hell out of there. Then I suddenly felt this sinking feeling of dread when I realized that I may have lost my keys in the mall and that we were stuck outside with this strange man who kept looking over his shoulders and was showing no signs of walking away. And I was thinking that he was waiting for the perfect moment to pounce. All he had to do was grab one of my girls and threaten their life, knowing it would make me do whatever he wanted as long as he wouldn't hurt them. I started to feel my adrenaline start to spike, and my heart and stomach started doing flip-flops, and I felt like at any moment shit was going to go down, as the gravity of realizing that there were no other people or witnesses around, and that we were totally alone with him at that moment. The odds were stacked against us, and that he had his chance. Then, he all of a sudden was all like, Okay, it was nice talking with you, see you later and walked off in the same direction as to which he came. It wasn't until then I found my car keys and unlocked the car door and told my kids to get in fast, and I got in too and locked the doors and started the car and drove the hell out of there. My 15-year-old lightheartedly and jokingly said, okay, that was weird, and laughed. I was overwhelmed with relief, and then I was confused over what just happened. I thought to myself, why the hell would a guy of seemingly sound mind think it's totally acceptable to go out of his way just to approach a woman and her kids in a deserted parking lot late at night, just to chit-chat. But being that nothing bad happened, I brushed it off and joked about it too. When we got home, my husband greeted us and asked us how shopping went, and I said it went well, and my 15-year-old told him what happened in the parking lot and how weird it was, and was kind of joking about it. I started joking too, saying how I was mentally having a panic attack while trying to look calm, and I started making fun of myself by telling my husband how I was attempting to inconspicuously rummage through my purse to find my car keys. My husband went completely white, and I acknowledged his horrified look of alarm, and I assured him that, albeit creepy, the guy was just talking and eventually left on his own. Now, my father-in-law is a retired sheriff deputy, and my husband went through police academy training after graduating high school. He decided to go to business school instead of becoming a cop, and being that the knowledge he gained from that, plus growing up with a cop for a dad, I found out why my husband looked absolutely horrified when I told him the details. What my husband told me completely rattled me to my bone. My husband told me that he was 100% sure that the reason why the guy was hanging around us and chit-chatting was because he was waiting for me to unlock my car. And the reason why he was standing next to our kids 
was because once I unlocked the car and the kid started getting inside, he was most likely going to force himself into the car with the kids and hold a knife or gun to them to gain leverage on me to force me to cooperate, knowing that I wouldn't abandon my kids, which would force me to get into the car with them and do whatever he wanted me to do, which most likely would be to drive to a remote location to do God knows what. And because he wasn't wearing a mask, suggests that his intentions were to also leave no witnesses to identify him. I then remembered that he was positioned by the backseat passenger door, where my seven-year-old was standing by waiting to get in. My husband then told me that the most likely reason why the guy ended up leaving was because it took so long for me to find my keys, and the longer it took, the more anxious and spooked it made him. And that whole time, I was desperately trying to find my car keys, which through some sort of divine intervention, stayed hidden in my purse thus saving us from potentially being abducted. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and special shout out to the new accomplices, Leah and Cicely. If you want to support the podcast, please consider joining the Patreon, but always make sure to take care of yourself first, of course. I hope you all have a good day, evening, or night. Goodbye.